a, a few years ago, I went from being a renter to a homeowner. Anybody know what that's like? It's a good feeling, right? Um, when this happened, though, there was a significant shift that took place in my way of thinking about my residence. When I was renting, I mean, I took fairly good care of the place that I was renting. I vacuumed the floors and cleaned up when things got dirty. I mowed the lawn from time to time and uh, even pulled a few weeds here and there. But because it wasn't my own place, I was very careful not to do too much. As a renter, I was looking to spend, as renters do, the least amount of money possible and also receive the greatest place or the, the most amount of uh, comfort and, and, you know, the best, the best comfortable place possible. Even though I would have liked to have nicer fixtures, more updated faucets or, or you know, light fixtures or whatever, I would have had, liked to have had maybe hardwood floors instead of the old carpet uh, that was in this particular place. I wasn't going to go through the trouble and I wasn't going to go through the expense of putting these things in myself. Why? Because it wasn't my home. I was just renting. But when I became a homeowner, my perspective completely changed. There was a special connection that was all of a sudden formed between me and the place where I lived. Because I bought the place. It, it was my home. And because it was my home, I wanted to give it special love. I became a regular at hardware stores and nurseries, uh, got to know those places really well. I started to change out the dated fixtures in the house for the nicest ones I could possibly afford. I tore out the old overgrown vines and shrubs that were in my yard, put in, put in a brand new lawn, and that was as a bachelor when I got married. Uh, my wife and I, we dreamed of remodeling the kitchen and the bathrooms, and we worked really hard. In fact, we, we stretched, we leveraged all our resources so that we could update our home. Eventually, the granite countertops were in, and the cabinets had a new, fresh look. Improving this home was, was a real sacrifice. But we didn't sacrifice to improve our home because we felt obligated. It wasn't like, oh, we better do this because we're going to feel guilty if we don't do it. No, we wanted to give sacrificially because it was ours. It was our home. We wanted it to look nice, and we wanted it to be the best place possible. This same way of viewing our living situation can be translated in how we view God's church, God's work in his church. When we view the church, and, and I include myself, I've, I've been in this place, when we view the church as a rental property for spiritual blessings, we come to church to get as much as possible out of it with the least amount of expense, right? Um, often this leads to disappointment because the church service isn't what we wanted, or, or maybe we weren't treated by other people the way we think we should have, we expected good Christian people to treat us, something like that. Religious renters give just enough to not feel guilty, and then they expect the church to meet our needs. We expect that when we are religious renters. And often this leads to disappointment. But when we see the church as our home, when we see God as, as our God, and we are part of his family, this is our place, this is our family, then our perspective changes. 
Instead of looking to take, we look for ways to give, not because of some obligation, but because this is our home. This is our family. He is our God, and we are his children. There's, there's an ownership that's there. We give because we want to. Now, as wonderful it is, as it is to, to give big to God and to his work and this, this great purpose that he has here on this planet, there are several common barriers that keep many of us from giving. Some think that giving is for wealthy people, and a wealthy person is just someone who has more money than we do, right? Because they feel like they can only give a certain amount, and it doesn't seem like very much, maybe even it seems like a little. Perhaps they feel like their contribution doesn't matter, and so why give it all? If I, if I barely am making ends meet, why give it all? If there's other people who can give so much more, Another reason that prevents us from giving is the fear that the gift that we give will be misused. That, you know, maybe the leadership, they just, ah, uh, they're not doing a, a, a great job. Maybe, maybe it's going to be mismanaged. Maybe it'll be wasted. Maybe my gift will be, will be spent on something that, that is not of the greatest value. And so, for these reasons, we can, we can hold off giving and miss out on the joy of giving big because this is our place. So today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at a New Testament story that addresses these barriers. And it shows us that no matter who we are, what our financial situation is, whether we have a lot of money in some people's estimation or very little, it doesn't matter. We can see from the Bible, there's a Bible teaching that shows us that every one of us, no matter what our financial status, can experience the joy of giving big. That's the title of the sermon this morning, Giving Big. And before we open the Bible, I really want to pause and just ask God's presence, God's, ask His Spirit to, to be our teacher here. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you for your word that teaches us and guides us, shows us the way to the abundant life. I pray, God, that you would give myself and each one of my church family here, each person that's joining us, um, listening ears to hear what your Spirit has to say to us. You are speaking to us. You're speaking words of life. May we hear them. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the, the story in Luke chapter 21. It's verses 1 through 4. Luke 21, 1 through 4. During the time of Jesus, the Jewish religious leaders, they were constantly looking for more money. <laughs> it was like there was never enough. They were, they were constantly looking, encouraging people to give more. Their magnificent temple during the time of Christ, the temple in Jerusalem, was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was this incredible, opulent, lavish place where worship Worship happened. It had been enriched by, by kings and rulers. Even a Roman emperor had given for its, its improvement. Um, it had been uh, developed, uh, expanded since the time of Zerubbabel. Anyway, it was, it was an incredible structure. And in order to maintain this structure and the support of the lavish services that took place there, the religious leaders encouraged people to give big. According to a Jewish tradition, there were 13 different receptacles in a courtyard in the, the temple. And each of these receptacles, they were collection boxes where people could give their contributions. Now likely each one of these boxes 
went to fund a different aspect of the temple worship. For example, one box may have been for wood, to purchase wood for sacrifices. Another might be to purchase incense for the the incense that was offered there in the temple. Perhaps another one was for the upkeep of the the implements that were used in the worship service, etc., etc. They they had different things. So giving in these different worship, in, in these different collection boxes, went to support the worship, kind of like church budget today. And so to make it as convenient as possible for people to give, these collection boxes were strategically placed in the outer court where every Jewish worshiper would have to pass through. Now, women in this society could not go beyond the outer court, but men and women would have passed, would have been here in this outer court, and this is where these collection boxes were placed so people could be reminded and they could give conveniently to support the work of God. In Luke chapter 20, Jesus has, had been, he'd been teaching in this outer court. And then in chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, Jesus looks up and he begins to observe the people who are giving, who are putting money in these collection boxes. And there's all kinds of people giving, but there's one person in particular that stands out to Jesus. And notice, notice what it says in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Verse 2, he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Verse 3, truly I tell you, Jesus said, this widow, this poor widow, has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. She was giving big. Now, Jesus' words here, they challenge our natural attitudes about giving. It's, he, he's pushing us to a paradigm shift in how we view giving. Typically, we think of people who give big as those who give a large amount of money. We, we think of how much they give when we consider someone who thinks who, who is, is giving big. We, we look at the size of their gift. If you've had the privilege of going through the Adventist school system, Adventist universities, chances are you have heard the name Chan Shun. Anybody familiar with that name? Now, okay, yeah. So Chan Shun, he, uh, he started off riding his bicycle in China from town to tine, town selling garments. And from that humble beginning, he started an incredibly successful business and became a very wealthy philanthropist. As a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, Chan Shun had a special interest in the education, the Christian education of young people. And so over his lifetime, he gave millions of dollars so that students could have a quality place to study. He, he, he supported buildings on different campuses. You can find these buildings all over. Like if you've been to Pacific Union College, I believe Walla Walla University has a Chan Shun Pavilion. Um, these, these places are all over that you, you can find buildings that bear his name, that he's contributed to. College campuses all over the world, really. As a college student, personally, I, I spent a lot of my time in the Chan Shun Library at Southwestern Adventist University. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the big giving of people like Chan Shun. There are many others. I'm just mentioning him as, as one. This is a building here in Loma Linda that, that he contributed to. But I'm really grateful for the large 
dollar amount gifts that he gave that, that enabled us to have really, and, and continues to enable young people to have a good Christian education, supports that whole system. But in Luke chapter 21 here, these verses, 1 through 4, Jesus' teaching is pushing us, it's challenging us to rethink our idea of what is big. What is a big gift? In verses 1 and 2, it describes this stark contrast. There were these wealthy worshipers that were coming, and they were giving these large gifts. And I, I can just imagine that perhaps they lingered at the collection box because they had so much to put in. And as the money clanked against the metal receptacle, the, the sound of the, of the giving would have carried throughout the courtyard. People would have noticed. And in giving this way to the temple, this is not a bad thing. In fact, they were following God's command. They were obeying God's command to support the temple uh, in, in, the, in the temple services. In Malachi chapter 3, uh, in verse 10, it, the whole context of this message here in Malachi is giving tithes, which is 10% of our income, and then offerings, which is in addition to that, whatever God impresses us to give. He's talking about this, and he tells us, he tells people to worship by bringing the whole tithe, not just tithe, but also offerings, bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. Why? That there may be food in my house. In other words, God, he gives us financial blessings so that we can partner with him in blessing other people. Like, God doesn't need our money. He owns everything. He's the creator of everything. But he set up this system that is really limited to the contribution, the faithful contribution of his followers. That there may be food in my house so that there might be resources for ministry. They were following this. So it's important that people give and that they give large amounts. That that was an important thing. Jesus doesn't condemn the rich that came putting in their gifts. He doesn't say, oh, you guys shouldn't be giving to this temple. He doesn't say that. It's important to give big. But in contrast to the rich gifts of the wealthy, what really catches Jesus' attention here is the gift of a poor widow. This is what really stands out to Jesus. This is what he really notices. Like, typically, church leaders would be like, oh, wow, look at these rich. They're giving, man, this is wonderful. Look at our, our, our giving record here. This is a great thing. Jesus, he sees that, but he says, something stands out to me here about this poor widow. I imagine her hoping that she would not be noticed. I mean, I'm sure she felt self-conscious. She didn't have that much. Two small copper coins is what the Bible says. Perhaps she didn't want to be noticed at all as she dropped in these two small copper coins. Now, to give you an idea of how much this was actually worth, these were the smallest Jewish coins in circulation. This was the the smallest monetary denomination. It would be similar to to us dropping in two pennies, maybe today, into the collection. And yet when she placed her gift in the collection box, Jesus says in verse 3, Truly I tell you, this widow put in more than all the others. Let that sink in. What, What Jesus is not saying, Jesus is not saying that These rich people, many of them gave a lot of money, but if you compare what any one of them gave, even the largest gift of any one of those people, what she gave is more than that. Jesus is actually not saying that. He's saying something even bigger. He's making the contrast even bigger. What he's saying is that these two copper coins that the widow put in are more than all of 
all of the giving combined that took place there. You want to gather all of the giving of all of the rich people, and her two copper coins had a greater value, is what Jesus is saying. That's literally what he's saying. That's, that's what the text says. Now, obviously, obviously, these two copper coins weren't, didn't have a greater monetary value than all those rich gifts. So, so how could this be that Jesus makes this statement? Well, in verse 4 here of chapter 21, Jesus explains. He says that these rich people, they gave out of their wealth. And although they gave a lot, they still had a lot left over to live on. They were still living comfortably. They still had plenty to, to eat, and they, they had clothing and, and all that they needed. But this widow, her gift was different. It says that she gave all that she had to live on for that day. She was giving everything. She had nothing left. It was a unique gift. God values large gifts, of course. He uses them for his service. But God does not measure the bigness of our gift by the amount that we give. He measures the bigness of our gift by the amount that is left over. She had nothing left over. This woman gave big, and it wasn't because she was obligated. She wasn't just, oh, I, I'm going to feel guilty if I don't do that. No, no, I don't, I don't believe so. I believe the nature of her gift, that she gave all, it gives evidence of what was in her heart, that she wanted to give, not because, because she, she was trying to get something back for herself. She gave, not because she was a religious renter. She gave because she owned it, because God was her God, because the temple worship, well, this was her place. God had chosen her to be his daughter, his child, and she accepted that. She owned it. She wanted to do whatever she could, motivated by the love of God, to give to support the worship of her God. One of the first gifts I can remember giving uh, as a child was a Christmas present to my dad. It was a, a t-shirt that I thought he would really like. My dad, I noticed that he enjoyed sports and he enjoyed watching the Olympics. And this was this, it was a, I don't even remember, this a long time ago, but it, was, it had an Olympic theme to it. And I thought he would really like it. And I remember that in order to give him this gift for Christmas, that I had to spend all of my money. I think even my mom probably helped me a little bit, but it cost me everything is the point. But I don't even remember that very well. Because what really mattered to me was not that I had given all my money to buy this shirt for my dad. What mattered to me was that I was giving him something that was good. I thought, I thought that this was something that he would really like. And I was so excited to give him. I wasn't even thinking about the money that it cost, the, 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 what it cost. I, I was so excited to give it to him that even before he unwrapped it, I, I told him what it was. I was just so, so happy to, to do this for him. Ah, oh, this is your shirt I bought for you. I was like, I don't know, seven years old or something. When I gave all that I had to give my dad this gift, I didn't worry that my needs wouldn't be met because I knew that my dad would take care of me. And so I could give freely. I could give all that I was able to give. And I could do it without worrying because he would take care of me. Now, let me just stop right here and say the point of the story here in Luke 21, 1 through 4 is not that we all empty our bank accounts and write a check to the church. That's not the point. That's not what it's saying. Jesus taught people throughout his ministry to wisely manage their money. He taught them to be able to pay their expenses. 
He encourages us to use our money wisely. And that means saving for future expenses. That means saving for a rainy day in the future. That means using our money wisely, not giving it all away. Whenever whenever money comes to our hands, we just give it away. That's, That's not what it's talking about. By affirming the widow's gift, Jesus is not encouraging irresponsible giving. And you can see this because as, as a widow, she didn't have any dependents to support. And although her gift may have required that she miss a meal, the Jewish community had resources to take care of widows. So she was going to be okay. It was going to require something from her. It would make her uncomfortable, but she was going to be okay. It was not an irresponsible gift. What Jesus affirms with the widow giving all that she had is this, that she gave all that she could because she wanted to. She loved God. And it was her joy to do that. It wasn't out of obligation. It wasn't out of guilt. It was her desire because she loved God, because God is her, was her God. When Jesus said that the poor widow gave more than all the others, he's saying that any one of us can give big. I mean, just, just by the, the word widow, the widow, word widow was synonymous with poverty in this culture. And so when Luke adds the description that we find of her here, that she was not just a widow, she was a poor widow, he's basically saying she literally had nothing. And yet this woman, who was the poorest of the poor, was able to give in such a way that Jesus himself says she gave more than everyone else combined that day. No one, no one is too poor to give big. You can give big no matter what your financial situation is. You may not be a millionaire. You may not be getting invitations to prestigious fundraising events. But when we give what we can out of a love for God, Jesus notices, and that's a big gift. And just like Jesus did with this widow, when we give in this way, he approves of us. He says, well done. That's good. Consider for a moment, and, and this is not just words that I'm throwing, not nice ideas. There is an actual impact of this gift. Consider for a moment the impact of this woman's example, her gift. Though she gave the smallest of contributions, how many people throughout history have read this story and been inspired? How much has come to support, financially support, the work of God because this woman's act inspired this kind of giving out of love? God's church has been blessed lavishly as a result of her influence. But even if you and I are inspired to give by by this story, chances are we're not going to give if we feel like it's going to be misused, as I mentioned earlier. Because human organizations can make bad decisions, we have a responsibility to thoroughly investigate where our money is going to go when we give whether it's to the church or whether it's to some other organization doing good around the world. We need to investigate that. Now, to help minimize bad decisions, our church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church organization, is held accountable by its members, by each person. We, We hold each other accountable. And one of the ways this happens, every year, we have a church business meeting where we put the finances of the church up on the screen. We talk about what we've done. We talk about our plans for the future. And it is open for feedback, open to input. You have an opportunity to say, I don't know if that's the best thing. But even though we, we do all of these things, even though we, we welcome feedback and we have dialogue and we make adjustments based upon that to have the best possible approach, the best impact on this world, in spite of all these efforts, it's not a perfect system. 
right? You, you might still be, come to the conclusion that, well, I don't, I don't agree with where the church leaders are going with this, whether that's here in the local level or if it's in our conference or whatever it might be. There can be disagreements. There can be questions as to whether certain people are using this money, and that, and that is fine. But according to Jesus and according to this teaching here, this is not a reason to rob us from the joy of giving big. I think one of the most amazing things about this story is that Jesus actually affirms this woman for giving. Think about the context. In a few days, Jesus is going to be crucified. Who is he going to be crucified by? The system that this woman is giving to. Not only will her gift be lost, probably, upon these well-fed priests who want to live extravagantly, but these very priests are in the process of putting together a plan to put Jesus to death. She didn't know that, but Jesus did, and he still affirms her. There's something powerful when we give big, not, not, in, not necessarily in, in the amount that we give, but when we give big out of a love for God, this widow experienced it. She experienced this gift that in spite of, of, of how it might have been used or, or wasted, her gift lives on. It wasn't, it wasn't tarnished by the imperfect system that she was giving to. I love that. And Jesus, Jesus praises her. This and he praised her because this is how love gives. Love gives in the way that, that this widow gave. On the cross, Jesus was the ultimate sacrificial gift. He gave all to everyone. And this gift included giving to people who would never accept it. It was a lavish gift to, their, to, to people who would waste it. He didn't just die for people who would accept him. He died for people who he knew would reject him. And yet he gave. I mean, from a worldly standpoint, Jesus was a poor manual laborer from a backwater town that nobody had really ever heard of. And he died on a cross. What made it so valuable? It's who he is. It's his character. And it's love that made his gift so valuable. He is God. He is love personified. And it is this that made it so valuable. This is why we're still talking about it today because it has changed our lives. It has transformed our world. And Jesus gives us the opportunity as followers of him to enter into this incredible experience of giving big out of love. If you are struggling with giving big, if you're running into some of these barriers that we've talked about, that maybe, uh, maybe my gift isn't going to matter because it's not big enough, or maybe I'm afraid to give to the church because maybe it might be mismanaged. Maybe you're, you're struggling to give because you're like, man, every time I hear a sermon on stewardship, I just feel guilty and I don't want to give out of guilt. God doesn't want you to give out of guilt either. That's not what this is about. If you are struggling, and, and I can relate to this struggle, then I want to invite you to consider Jesus. Consider how he gave. Consider how he has given to you. Unworthy, undeserving, though we are, Jesus gave everything. And that isn't to guilt us into giving. That's to empower us to give. Because he has given lavishly, big to us. This is why. We can give big to others because he calls us his children, unfaithful and unruly though we might be. He owns us, so to speak, not in a domineering way, but in a loving way. He is our father and he lavishes his goodness upon us because of his 
lordship in our life, we can experience the joy also of giving big. May that be your experience today. In Jesus' name.